This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Middle of chapter 6, page 116. And he said, How do we arouse Hashem's mercy, Hashem's emes? It's only when we arouse mercy in our nesham. When we arouse mercy before Hashem on the godly spark that's located now in Hashem. And that's the attribute of Yaakov. The attribute of Yaakov is emes, reaches from the highest highs all the way to the lowest of the low. That when you realize that your Nisham is rooted in the highest of the high, higher than high, and it comes down into lower than low, into this material, physical ego, so therefore you have Rachmanus on your Nisham. So you're able to illuminate the darkness with the light through this Rachmanus, compassion. So it reaches the person the way the person is at, where the person is at, actual reality, the actual situation we are in. And at the same time, we're able to arouse compassion, awaken a feeling, stir your soul with a sense of compassion and you realize how far you've come and where your root and source and origin is. So it's combining the two. Combining the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. Unlike the attribute of Avram, the attribute of Yitzchak. The attribute of Avram is like this, the heaven coming down to earth. The attribute of Yitzchak is earth going up to heaven. But heaven remains heaven and earth remains earth. It's Yaakov that brings the, the two together. Yaakov, through Rachmanus, you're actually able to reach where you're at and you're able to change it. You're able to evoke, arouse, stir up in Hashem a sense of compassion, a sense of Rachmanus for your situation, for your human situation. So you're very much taking in your human situation. You're not becoming otherworldly, saintly otherworldly. You're taking in human situation. But you evoke a sense of Rachmanus when you remember where the Neshama comes from. And that stirs your soul and that awakens you and that gets you to change and to uh, connect you with Hashem. And it's this attribute of Yaakov which evokes the response from Hashem. When you serve Hashem with your emes, when you evoke compassion on your own divine spark and you reach your own personal level, then you evoke response from within Hashem. Revoke the emes of Hashem. Because, like he said earlier, our emes is limited. Even when we're emes, it's limited. The only true emes is Hashem. Only Hashem knows the true Rachmanus, the true compassion for our Neshama. What a Rachmanus it is, how far we've come from who we really are 
and our situation in the here and now, in the actual here. Only the divine, only Hashem, truly sense it, Rachmanus. But how do we evoke Hashem's Rachmanus? How do we evoke Hashem's emes when we serve Hashem with our emes? When we serve Hashem with our emes, that evokes a response within, from within Hashem. Hashem responds with His emes. And He gives Yaakov the attribute of emes. Titen emes liyaakov. The reward... So that explains that. But then we have the other verse which he began, which opens this letter. That Secher Emes. That the reward of kindness. Vizereya Tzedakah. By doing kindness, Secher. What is the reward for doing kindness? Emes. So now he's going to explain why do we need the attribute of kindness? Why isn't it enough to evoke your emes by evoking a sense of compassion on your own neshama, awakening and stirring up your own neshama? And that should evoke, Hashem is interactive, that should evoke a response from within Hashem that He'll respond in kind with the divine mercy and compassion in your neshama, with the divine emes. It's unchanging, it's truly unlimited. I don't know if you want to talk about this now. What, what is our MS? What is it? it's, it's, a, it's a relative MS? I mean, I, I never understood. I, I always thought there was only an absolute truth, which was Torah, but now it seems that there's a, at our level, in the, in the worldly, there's, a, there's an MS. But what, what does that actually mean? So our MS is when something really gets to us. Every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, comprehensive, it's personal. When you have Rachmanus, it's personal. When you have Rachmanus in your situation, in the human condition, that you find yourself in, the actual situation you find yourself in, and sensing where you come from, where your neshama comes from, and the plunge and this descent, traumatic descent for the neshama, and you evoke and awaken a sense of Rachmanus, that's personal, that gets to you. When you have Rachmanus and so on, it gets to you. It's personal. It's not just mechanical. It's, it's very personal. It touches your whole being. When you're able to empathize and you're able to have Rahmanas, it touches your whole being. So that's your emits. You care. You're moved. You're touched. You're, 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 you're stirred up. So it's not truth the way we understand it in the secular world. It's no. It's not 2 plus 2 is 4. 2 plus 2 is 4 is true. It's not false. That's not emits. Emes is when something personal, something really gets to you, the real you, your whole you, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. That's the attribute of compassion. It's the attribute of Yaakov. It's the attribute of Emes. It's real. It's the real you that's really moved. You're acting saintly, you're acting like Avram. It's almost like not the real you. It's, it's your saintly self. It's your otherworldly self. It's your, your divine self, your angelic self, the angel inside of you. But you sense it's the divine inside of you. It's not you. Yitzchak, acting heroically, sacrificing yourself. It's also, it's not the real you. Yaakov reaches the real you. It touches the whole person. And you feel a sense of Rahmanus. But now he's going to explain it's not enough. That alone is not enough to evoke the divine emes. Why? Because whatever we do is not ultimately emes. It's not 100%. Because we're limited, we're finite. We are so riddled with lies and deception and untruthfulness. Our whole world is a lie. It's called Alma de Shikra. The Zohar calls it the world of lies. Everything in this world is a lie. Everything says, I exist. It's the ultimate lie. We don't exist. Everything, that is, everything is really Hashem. There's no ego. There is no I. But, so the whole world is a lie. Our whole premise, our whole underlying assumption, our whole being, our whole sense of self, in a sense, is a lie. So when the whole foundation is corrupt, the whole underlying assumption is corrupt. 
how can we possibly achieve emes? Even if we're sincere, and even if we're trying hard, and even if we reach the level of Yaakov, after Avram and Yitzchak, and we finally reach the level of Yaakov, and we stir up our soul, and we feel that we're genuine, and we're sincere, and we're all stirred up, and moved, and touched. Is it really emes? Because the evoking the compassion also has to be with emes. But how do we know it's true? How do we know it's really happens? The story, Chassid came to the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, the author of this letter. And he says, Rebbe, I want you to know that I sinned. But it doesn't truly bother me. He says, and I'm not serving Hashem genuinely. But you should know I don't mean it with an emes. I don't it doesn't really bother me. And that that I'm telling you now that it doesn't bother me, that it bothers me, that it doesn't bother me, that alone is not oh is not a hundred percent. And what I'm telling you now is not either hundred percent. By the time he finished saying that, he fainted. <laughs> it bothered him that it didn't bother him. So he bothered him that he was not being genuine, not being authentic. But it finally bothered him enough that he fainted. The famous story, a classical story with the Chafetz Chaim, that once it was the government was making a decree against the Jews and he sent a delegation to try to avert the decree. And they came back with the bad news that whatever they tried failed. They couldn't change the terrible decree. Chavaz Chaim says, yes, but did you faint? Did you chalish at least? You couldn't, you tried your best. I tried my best. I did the best that I could. But did you faint at least? Did it really bother you? Did, do we really try our best? When something bothers us, we really try our best. When your life is on the line, you try your best. And you do Herculean things, almost impossible things. Mothers lifted up cars to save their babies. Things that were humanly impossible. Got out of people, escaped fires, bent bars, escaped places which they couldn't even fit through. When something matters to you, yes, with an emiss, then you can do things, astonishing things. So you think that you mean it with an emiss, with a truth, genuinely and sincerely. But is it really genuine and sincere? How genuine and sincere is it? And you can fool yourself, but can you fool God? God is, that's his attribute, emes. So why, how do we evoke a response from Hashem? Only something emes, emes responds to emes. So something is really emes. But is it really emes? The beautiful story with the Balshemtiv and the Magid, Balshemtiv on Shabbos, even the simple Jews would join them for Friday night dinner. And the Balshemtiv would show his love for the simple Jew. And one particular Shabbos, all the Balshemtiv students, he had 60 handpicked students, the greatest rabbis, mystics, and scholars of Eastern Europe. But the, Shem, the Friday night meal, all the Jews joined the Baal Shem Tev. Baal Shem Tev sat the simplest Jew next to him and gave him from his cup. And he showed such love and affection for the simple Jews. And the students were very disturbed by this behavior. They never saw this before. It was unprecedented in Jewish history. The Moses of the generation should show such respect. And, and the simple Jews should have such access to the Baal Shem Tev, personal access. They felt it was taking away from the holiness and of the moment. The third meal, the Vashem would eat the meal only with the students. And the Vashem was in a great mood at Shabbos. His face was radiating and Vashem spoke Torah and the students felt, ah, this is the way it should be. Now it's perfect. Friday night, a desecration. It doesn't make sense. The Baal Shem Tov sensed their thoughts. Suddenly the Baal Shem Tov's face 
darkened, became clouded. Hashem told the students to put their hands on each other's shoulder. He told them to sing a few songs. And he told them to close their eyes. And he put his hands on the two students next to him. Their shoulder completing a circle. All of a sudden, they all had a vision. They heard the simple Jews who were in the shul. They were not invited to the shalashudas, to the meal, so they were in shul saying tilim. And the tehillim that they heard was so heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. One says, Oi, Tata Tayyarezisa, sweet father in heaven. And the Hindu said, Please help us. And this one was saying, crying out his heart, Tata Tayyarezisa, precious father. And he said another few words of the tilim. Their hearts just melted. They cried. The Magid, Abedovber, described later to the Alter Rebbe, he says, I wish on you, we wished on Yom Kippur we would have a level of Teshuvah like we had at that moment. That they wished they can serve Hashem with the same sincerity as the simple Jews. And then Vashem took removed his hands and the vision stopped and Vashem told them, we are not even Svasems, we're not even the edge of truth. Our whole being is a lie. The whole world is one big lie. It's ego, it's arrogance, it's I. The whole world is founded on a lie. And yet, we will move to our core by the simple, genuine service of the simple Jew. It's not affected, not embellished. It's just sincere, pure, simple from the heart, from the essence of their being. Imagine Hashem Himself is not only the edge of truth, Hashem is truth. Not only truth, but truth of truth. And the truth is Hashem is beyond any definition and description. Imagine how Hashem is moved to His core, so to speak, by the sincerity of the simple truth. They're emes. That's why the Hashem to love the simple truth. Because the simple Jew, there's no self-satisfaction. The biggest genius, the greatest scholar, the greatest mystic, with the deepest, most profoundest religious experience. Ultimately, there's a level, a sense of satisfaction. You serve, and you serve sincerely, but then, ah, this is good. I've arrived. I've achieved. You've given it your all, but ultimately, there's a level of satisfaction. That's a taste of death. That's, that's a lie. It comes to an end. It's limited. There's, a, there's a, a hidden sense of smugness and contentness, self-contentness. Great job. Beautiful. I served Hashem well. Beautiful davening. Beautiful mitzvah. Beautiful. Perfect. And that's, that's dangerous. The simple Jew doesn't suffer from that. The simple Jew has no sense of satisfaction. His, his desire to Hashem is unquestionable, unquenchable. He says, and that was the vision that Hashem showed Moshe. When Moshe was about to become the leader, the first Rebbe. Hashem showed him, appeared to him in a burning bush. A bush, simple. Represents a simple Jew. There's no fruits. You don't see any, on a conscious level, you don't see any great fruits and productivity and you don't see the brilliance and the scholarship and the philosophy and the theology and the mysticism and the intense spirituality. Hashem showed Moshe, the Rebbe, first Rebbe, the respect and the awe that he should be of the simple Jew because the simple Jew is a fire that doesn't stop burning. When the scholar has a fire, it comes to an end. It's limited. Even when he gives it his all, but it's limited. There's a sense of satisfaction is a sense of conclusion. The simple Jew has no sense of conclusion, no sense of satisfaction. It's an unquenchable thirst. His thirst for Hashem is so heartfelt and so pure and so sincere. You know, he, he doesn't have anything external that he can delude himself that he's satisfied. It's a never-ending quest for Hashem. And the more he indulges it, the more he... It's like pouring kerosene on the fire. The more it just intensifies the quest. And he cries from the depth of his being. And Hashem is moved to His core, so to speak. So, emes is a very difficult quality. 
even when you have the level of Yaakov, after having Avram and Yitzchak, and you arrive at the level of Yaakov, and Emes, you're Emes, but is it really Emes? Is it 100% Emes? Is it genuine? Is that Emes enough to move Hashem? So what's the answer? And that's what the verse says, the verse that he quoted in the beginning of this letter, that in order to receive the reward of Emes, you need the quality of tzedakah. That's what he says in Proverbs. You need the, to, plant, to sow tzedakah, kindness. Why? Why does this guarantee emes? And that's what he's going to explain now. In answer to the question, asked above then, it is now clear that, that the way by which one can arrive at Hashem's truth is by the arousal of divine compassion. However... This arousal of Hashem's great compassion also needs to be done in truth. But even when it is true in mortal terms, how, by means of relative truth, can one arouse eternal compassion from the truth? Firstly, we have to make sure it's really truth, and it's your truth. But even, let's say, theoretically, you have reached your truth. Is that enough to evoke Hashem's truth? There's no comparison between our truth, which is relative. Yes, it's your sincerity, it's your, but still you're finite and human. And there may even be a sense of self-satisfaction at the, 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 lurking there as well. How can that evoke Hashem's truth, which is infinite? The solution recommended for this is to practice the attribute of charity, which is the attribute of compassion for him who has nothing of his own, to revive the spirit of the lowly. So the answer is, when I am serving Hashem, as great as my service is, as sincere as it is, as deep as it is, as profound as it is, it's limited. Do I know if it's 100% true? I'm not sure. And even if it is 100% true, it's my truth. When you help another person, however, that's 100% genuine. You know, spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. But your ego doesn't tell you, help the other person. It's completely selfless. It's completely genuine. It's pure. I'm helping the other person, whether he deserves, doesn't deserve. It's real. You help the other person. That help that you help the other person is 100% genuine. So if I'm perfect or not, but by helping the other person, I'm tapping into, I'm touching a very genuine place. That's as genuine as we can get. Because there's no ego. It's purely godly. Why am I helping another person? Only because Hashem told me, because it's the right thing. And the other person, you've helped 100%. When I am serving Hashem, am I truly serving Hashem? Am I truly connecting to Hashem? Maybe I'm delusional. Maybe I think I'm serving Hashem. Maybe it's my own ego trip. I'm not sure. I don't know. But when you help that, that other person, you fed that other person, you nourished that other person, you gave him tzedakah, you helped that other person, and tzedakah doesn't only have to be financially or physically, any form of tzedakah, I helped that other person, that help is genuine. That touches Hashem. That evokes the response from within Hashem. As Hasidus explains, Mittler Rebbe writes, son of the Alter Rebbe, in Shari Oire he writes, that deep down every Jew has the spark, a divine spark, a piece of the divine essence. But, you know, we can't access it. And many times we can struggle and with great effort and still our heart is not on fire. We don't feel anything. We're not inspired. We're not moved. We're not touched. We don't feel like changing. It's difficult. He says there are exceptions. When suddenly you can access your neshama, your deepest self, your deepest part within you. Either when your Jewishness is challenged and, so, and you, you're ready to give up your life, sacrifice, make the ultimate sacrifice for Hashem, suddenly it hits you, you hear, you feel your neshama, your neshama awakens. Or special times, special occasions, maybe at the Seder, Yom Kippur, a holiday in a yomtiv, 
special moments, privileged moments, the day you're getting married, you're marrying off a child, whatever, certain moments that just touch your neshama very deeply. Without, notwithstanding the effort on your part, nothing to do with you, it's just the whole beauty of the neshama just emerges and surfaces. He says, and the third occasion when it happens is, if you do a favor to someone else, you do a great favor to someone else, a real favor to someone else, a person in their need, time of need, you really help them. That evokes a response that Hashem will wake up your neshama. Nothing to do with your effort, but because you've done a favor to that other child. And this is the great emphasis of our generation. Because, you know, for six generations, Lababach Hasidim were known. If you study the Tanya, everything in the Tanya, from the beginning of the Tanya, consistently to the middle, to the end, and every portion of the Tanya is pushing you to focus and emphasize davening to Hashem. Because that's the time that you can focus and concentrate and connect and awaken your nisham. It's taking davening very seriously and very personally. And Lubavitcher Hasidim were known to daven for hours and hours. What happened today? Today, on one hand, the generations are were not as great <coughs> as our parents and grandparents. We don't have the zitzvul age. We don't have the presence of mind. We don't have the awareness. We don't have the focus, the ability to concentrate. We don't have the knowledge that they had to personalize it and apply it and internalize it. So you don't see that much. You don't see this idea of sitting and davening for hours. But it doesn't mean that, God forbid, we gave up on that whole idea, notion of davening and personalizing and applying the Hasidic teachings and internalizing it. On the contrary, today we took it a step further. And that is the whole idea of shlichus, the whole idea that your life's mission is not, it's not enough to live for yourself. Your life's mission is to help another Jew. Because when you help another person, that is 100%. That is 1,000%. And when you help another Jew, and you help them in a time of need, in a time of joy, they, this evokes a response from within Hashem. And what will be the reward? Hashem will give you the reward will give you emes, his emes. It will awaken the divine spark within you. And suddenly your own Yiddishkeit will come alive. Despite the fact that on a conscious level you may be so imperfect and so far from perfection. And yet nevertheless, we have this shortcut to access the deepest parts within us. How? Through the kindness, through good deeds through tzedakah, planting chesed, by being there for others, helping others. And this is what the emphasis of our generation is the, when we don't have the capacity, we don't have the same capacity as our parents and ancestors to do the internal work. But we do have the capacity to help another person, live for another person, and do the chesed and be there for them. And that's 100%. So it's not only, it's not like today we don't need emes anymore. No, today we have emes la'amite, the ultimate truth. This is how you reach the total truth, the absolute truth, the, by doing kindness, by doing a favor, by helping another person. This ignites our ownership. This ignites our own Yiddishkeit, makes it come alive, and makes it real and relevant to us personally. This is how Hashem responds. This evokes Hashem's response. 
So this is our preparation for davening. Our preparation for davening is by really living for another Jew, helping another Jew, being there for another Jew, practically being there and helping them and physically and financially and materially and spiritually. And uh, so it's not Chabad took a new direction. It's a new Hasidus, God forbid. It's consistent. It's the same it's the same point. The goal is the same. To connect with Hashem. But he's saying in this letter, ultimately, how do you connect with Hashem? Because even when you do Davin, and even when you do the internal work, and even when you reach the level not only of Avram and Yitzchak, even at the level of Yaakov, the most perfect of all, your Emes, still in all, it's not enough. You really want to know you're on the right path. You really want to know you're connecting with Hashem. You really want to know that you're really touching your divine spark, your divine essence. He says it's only when in the major ingredient is when you do kindness. Because only when you do kindness and you forget about yourself and you help another person, which is genuine, authentic, and 100%, 101%, that's as selfless as it gets. When I'm serving myself, I'm doing my internal work, I don't know how genuine it is. But when you're helping another person, you help them. No one can take that away from you. That's 100%. That evokes Hashem's response. Then Hashem will awaken your emes. Hashem will awaken your neshama and your Yiddishkeit. As a Jew, your Jewish life will come alive for yourself. So the goal is the same. Ultimately, it's not enough just to be there for others. You can't... You have to practice what you preach. You can only teach by living example. If Yiddishkeit is genuine for you, if Yiddishkeit is meaningful to you, if it's alive for you, then it will rub off and you will be able to inspire others. Words from the heart enter the heart. But the way to evoke and awaken the godly spark within you, to awaken your own service of Hashem by helping others, that's the best path and the quickest path of awakening your own service to Hashem. The beautiful story of the Tzema Tzedek. Once uh, after the Alter Rebbe passed away, the Alter Rebbe would uh, visit him many times and he would uh, answer all his questions that he had accumulated over studying time, studying he had questions and mysticism and Hasidism and in the Talmud and the Alter Rebbe would answer his questions. One time, the Talmud said he gathered a lot of questions and um, he had no visitation from his grandfather. Dr. Rebbe didn't come to visit him. This wasn't a physical visit, but it was a soul. He didn't, no contact. He felt terrible. Did I do something wrong? And he's thinking, reviewing his actions. Did I do something that I causes this? Dr. Rebbe is like ignoring me and my grandfather is not appearing to me and not appear showing himself. Anyway, one t- that, that time, one morning, he was on the way to Shul, and in Lubavitch, there was a marketplace. Once a week or twice a week, there was a marketplace. Everyone came together. It was early in the morning, and, and this uh, simple Jew came, and he needed a loan to buy. It was like wholesale. He needed a loan to buy. And someone says, listen, I'm going to Daven. When I finish Davening, come, and I'll give you the loan. And the Tzema Tzedek went to shul and he started davening. He put the talus over his shoulder and started, started davening. But before he had a chance to open the talus, he thought a minute, wait a minute, what, what did I just do? This simple Jew needs the money the marketplace is now. He's going to lose his opportunity. This is it. He's going to wait till I daven. The Tzema Tzedek needs to daven long. <laughs> you know, so he immediately put down his talus, ran home, got the money, went to the marketplace, found the Jew, gave him the money, and then he went to Shul to Daven. And as soon as he put on his, as soon as he went to the sink to wash his hands before Davening, Al Rebbe appeared with a huge smile. And he answered all of his questions. It was like Yamtif, like a holiday. And the point was, imagine the Tamil Ted with all his preparations for Davening. And you can imagine it was as genuine as it gets, and as authentic as it gets. 
And yet, that did not evoke a response. Now the Rebbe did not appear. He went and helped a simple Jew to buy some stuff in the marketplace. Very simple. But he did him a real favor. All of a sudden, it opened up all the gates of heaven and Alter Rebbe appeared to him with a huge smile. So, it's not the inner work is not important. Not the Rebbe said the inner work is not important. Of course you have to have an inner work. You have to have an inner life. The whole point of the Tanya, the whole point of Hasidus is you have to have an inner life. And it affects how you're going to affect others. You can't affect others if you're not genuine, if you're not authentic, if you don't mean it, if it's not from the heart, if you're not living it. Talking the talk doesn't impress anyone. No one's impressed how brilliant you are and how smart you are and how clever you are. The only thing that impresses people is words from the heart. If you're genuine, you're authentic, you mean it, you live it, you breathe it. You're not preaching. It's enthusiasm, it's contagious, it's the, it's the reality. So you have to have that inner life, which we call avoida. Avoida is the service of the heart. You have to, you have to be alive. Yiddishkeit has to be soulful and genuine and heartfelt. But the best way to get there especially in our generation, when we don't have the focus and the tools to really cultivate and develop that inner life to the utmost, we're surely a pale shadow in comparison to our parents and grandparents and ancestors. The best way is when you help another person, when you do an act of tzedakah, of chesed, which is 100% genuine, this evokes the response from within Hashem. And Hashem awakens you to shop. That's your reward. You receive the emiss of Hashem. So this is a very powerful letter that really speaks to us today, especially to our situation today. And the arousal from below elicits an arousal from above. Hashem rouses those who sleep and awakens those who slumber. I.e., He arouses His great compassion and His eternal attributes of kindness, which are concealed. As with a sleeping person's dormant soul powers, sleep and more deeply slumber, here signify two degrees of dormancy in the essentially concealed states of divine compassion and kindness. So there's sleep and there's slumber. There's the neshama could be asleep. Sleep could also be a light sleeper. Some people are light sleepers. Smallest noise and they wake up. They're asleep. It doesn't take much to wake them up. Then there's a slumber. Slumber is, it could be a, a bomb. Bombs could be falling. If he's in such a deep sleep, he <laughs> doesn't respond to anything. It could be thunder and lightning, and he's like in a deep slumber. So different levels of sleep and slumber, also spiritually. The neshama is asleep, and the neshama is in slumber. So you have rachmim rabim, Hashem's mercy, and... Um, and chasadim al yoyinim and alamim, then you have hidden kindness, supernal attributes of kindness which are concealed, which awaken, awaken the sleep, those who are asleep, and even awaken those who slumber, able even to reach them and to wake them up from the deep, deep, deep sleep. A person is so materialistic, a person is so engrossed in his own pleasures and his own indulgence and his own self-absorbed and self-centered and so asleep sweet sleep of materialism and he's dreaming of his billions and his money and his fame and his power and his success he's such a deep sleep he's not awake to anything godly anything spiritual so Hashem when we arouse from below, Hashem is interactive. When we awaken from below. We help someone who perhaps doesn't even deserve our help, or someone who's in a much lower level, and we lower ourselves and we help them selflessly, pure act of kindness, of goodness. So Hashem will respond in kind. Hashem will lower Himself, so to speak, and awaken us from our sleep and even awaken us from our deep slumber. So that they emerge from concealment into manifestation and to a great illumination. So that a man is illuminated with the light of life, with the truth of Hashem unto the world. So Hashem's emes, Hashem will waken us up with His emes that reaches our neshama and jumpstarts our neshama, jumpstarts our engine, sparks our neshama. And we receive an awakening 
which doesn't come from us, doesn't come from our efforts. It comes from Hashem, it comes from above. But it's an awakening that reaches our very core and essence. And an awakening that comes from Hashem is a permanent, is eternal, is unlimited. Because Hashem is unlimited. An awakening that comes from us, from below, is limited. But, so therefore it's not, ultimately it's not emes, it's not something that's lasting. The awakening that comes from Hashem has lasting power, has staying power. And it evokes this tremendous response. And we've seen it in our generation. The whole Baltruvan movement. A generation that was asleep and more in a deep slumber, spiritually speaking. And you can hardly see any vital signs, any spiritual vital signs. And yet, because of the acts of tzedakah and chesed and being there for another Jew and helping them and selflessly being there, that act of kindness ignited this arousal from Hashem. And only Hashem has the power to awaken those who are asleep and those who are in a deep slumber. And suddenly the neshama awakened. And hundreds of thousands of Jews who discovered Judaism with a vengeance. And this awakening has staying power. It's not a one-time thing. This has completely changed and transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of Jews throughout the world. So this tremendous awakening was evoked through the sowing of the tzedakah, through these acts of kindness. This then is the meaning of the idiom of sowing related to charity, as in the verse with which this abstinence open. He who sows charity as in the verse, so for yourselves for charity. One thereby causes the supernatural truth, the truth of Hashem to sprout, just as a plant that sprouts reveals that which was previously sown. So a plant reveals, when you sow the, the seed, everything is in the seed, the potential is there. But this seed takes root and suddenly you see this whole potential that was in the seed. So too, the seed of Hashem, the truth of Hashem, which is there, but it's concealed. Suddenly it sprouts. It emerges. Just like from the seed, this beautiful tree emerges in all its glory. So too, from the seed, this potential, this divine emes, suddenly sprouts and affects us here and now in, the, in this world. Our personal lives suddenly are awakened. Our neshama is awakened. We're awakened. We're stirred up. We're, something shifts inside. Something moves inside. Something awakens. and We feel inspired inside. So this comes about through tzedakah. By sowing tzedakah, we cause the sprouting. The tzedakah is like the seed. By giving tzedakah, this caused the sprouting of the truth of Hashem. Secher, what is the reward? Emes, the divine truth. So there's nothing more divine than tzedakah. There's nothing more godly. There's nothing more genuine. Nothing more authentic. All the advantages. As the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe once told the previous Rebbe, his son, he said, he listed advantages of thinking Hasidic thoughts before you pray. While you're putting on the talus and tefillin and just thinking, all the, meditating on Hasidic philosophy. And he listed a whole list, forget the exact number, of advantages and uh, how it affects you in such a positive way. But then he concluded, all of these advantages don't come close to the advantage that one gets by just doing a favor to another person. Even physically giving a penny to tzedakah, giving a dollar to tzedakah, helping another person. Obviously strong, loving your fellow Jew like yourself. Really being there for another person, helping another person, caring about another person. Not just yourself. Because that act is so genuine, authentic, it's so selfless. Your ego only cares about itself. Your ego doesn't care about another person. So when you're helping another person, it's divine, it's godly, it's 100%. There's no human fingerprints in it. Right? And that what touches Hashem, that touches Hashem, and that evokes a powerful response from within Hashem. 
that even it reaches us, even if we are on the lower level, we are on the low level, we are the lowest generation of all generations. And spiritually speaking, we are the midgets, and we are the lowest of the low. But the, we are asleep, and we are in a deep slumber. And yet Hashem awakening reaches us. The seed sprouts, and the, the, the tree reaches us. And it awakens something within us. It stirs something within us. And suddenly our Yiddishkeit comes alive. Our relationship with Hashem comes alive. Our connection with the Divine comes alive for us in a very real way in the here and now, in the year 2014. Even here in the Upper East Side. And now he's going to say, the point of the letter, this was a letter, an appeal letter. I know in Manhattan you get three appeal letters a day. But this is an appeal letter like no other letter. I'm sure you don't get a letter like this from any organization. You get a sob story, a cry story here. Alter Rebbe sent letters, an appeal letter. But his appeal letters, he had to sit and learn and study and digest. And now he's coming to the point. The appeal letters were to support the community, the Jewish community in Israel. The first ones to make Aliyah to Israel, this was a hundred years before Theodor Herzl, were the Hasidim. Alter Rebbe's teacher and colleagues went up a few hundred Hasidim. Alter Rebbe himself packed his bags, said goodbye to his Hasidim, took his family and went as far as the Russian-Turkish border. By the Russian-Turkish border, his Rebbe convinced him to go back and to lead the Hasidim in Russia. And he took upon himself to support them because there was no support system in Israel then. He couldn't make a living. There was, no, there was no community to speak of. The Arabs say they're in Israel. There was no Arab. There was no one there. It was completely empty. It was, there was a handful of people. It was, it was completely empty. There was no one there. There's no support. There's nothing. You couldn't make a living. So they lived off the kindness of the Jews back in Russia, back in Eastern Europe. Now the Jews in Eastern Europe were starving themselves. It wasn't exactly they were. And yet... Every family took upon themselves, they would have a pushka and they would give their pennies, whatever they had, they gave from the last bread. They had to take from the bread that they ate, literally, and put the tzedakah. Al Rebbe is sending appeals, he's not sending an appeals to billionaires in the Forbes 400, or to millionaires, or to people who have retirement accounts, or people who own three homes, and people who, you know, investments. He's talking about people who literally struggle to put bread on the table. And yet, al Rebbe says it's mandatory and obligatory. And if you understand the power of tzedakah, you understand the power by studying this letter, you want to, where do I write this check? Where do I give tzedakah? How much, you know, the more I can give, the better. The more people I can help. So he's encouraging them to support this tzedakah. So he's saying tzedakah in general is powerful. How much more so tzedakah for Eretz Yisrael, tzedakah for the Holy Land. That's the most powerful. That's what he's going to um, explain now. This is achieved especially through acts of charity and true kindness that are done for the benefit of the Holy Land. May it be built and established speedily in our days. Amen. Thereby realizing the verse from Psalms, quote, Truth shall sprout forth from the land, where land alludes both to the land of Israel here below and to the Sapphira of Malchat above. So here he's interpreting that in order to get Emma, where does Emma's grow from? Emma's, as he explained earlier, we learned last week, is the attribute of Hashem. Only God is truthful, only God is Emma's, absolute truth. In order for a person to receive that level, to receive a level of Emma's, it has to grow from the ground. What ground are we talking about specifically? Eretz Israel, the holy ground, the holy land. So tzedakah, Everywhere is powerful. But how much more so tzedakah that you do in the Holy Land, it's amplified a thousandfold. And therefore the emes that you receive, the level of revelation, of arousal that you receive from Hashem is also amplified a thousandfold. By sowing charity in it. In order to grow, you have to sow. What are you sowing? Emes is what grows. What's the seed that causes this growth, this sprouting? Tzedakah. And the kindness and great compassion that are gathered into it and gleaned in it correspondingly arouse the supreme graces that are hidden and concealed. As it is written, how great is your kindness which you have hidden so that the land is established and set up firm. So, So there is kindness and any tzedakah anywhere in the world arouses Hashem's kindness but then there's the ultimate level of kindness, Hashem's hidden kindness. 
in order to arouse the supreme graces that are hidden and concealed, that's specifically by giving tzedakah in the land of Israel, that's associated with the land of Israel. So it's just as good if you give tzedakah that will affect Israel? You know, you send yes. it in, you don't yes. have to physically Yes, yes, exactly. To affect Israel. Exactly. Both Eretz Yisrael and the Sephara of Malchut of Atzilut must be buttressed, the latter because of its descent in order to serve as a source of created beings that are lower than the world of Atzilut and that. And of this it is written, through Sadaka shall you be firmly established, referring to the establishment of the congregation of Israel, here below, as well as to its spiritual counterpart above, Farah of Malkut of Atzilut, which is also known by the same name. The land needs to be established, firmly established, because the land is the source of life for the whole world the lower worlds. So therefore it needs to be established and to be set up firmly. And in order to establish and to set up the land, it's by giving tzedakah. And uh, the Alter Rebbe founded what's called Kailul Chabad, and this charity exists till this very day. Very, it's a very active tzedakah. It's called Kailul Chabad. This was the original fund that Alter Rebbe set up to support the Jewish community in the Holy Land. And until today, they're very active. It's one of the largest, uh, I think their soup kitchens feed 100,000 people a year, and they're a tremendous amount of tzedakah and kindness to help the needy. Israel, unfortunately, has a lot, a lot of needy people who fall through the cracks and um, need, need help, and they raise huge money here in New York and all over the world. And every Chabad house, every Chabad family has a Koyal Chabad Pushka, because this was very precious. This tzedakah was very precious to the Alter Rebbe. And all the Rebbe's continued after him. But all, half of the letters, if not more, of these letters, the 32 letters, talk about tzedakah and are specifically were appeal letters to support this specific tzedakah, the tzedakah of Chayel Chabad, to help, help the Jews in Israel. So, you know, this is a... a an arousing letter, this is a call to action, because once you understand and you appreciate the power of tzedakah and what it does for you, forget about what it does to the other person, but what it does for you personally, that it connects you with Hashem and it touches the essence of Hashem and it evokes Hashem's response, Hashem's emes, which touches your neshama and awakens you and brings out the emes inside of you. Because otherwise, how could a human being reach emes? A human being is so not emes. It's not a, a single bone within us that's emes. <laughs> how do we reach a level of emes? Is when we reach Hashem, we touch Hashem, and we help another person, that evokes that response within Hashem, and then Hashem awakens the emes within us, awakens that pintly within us. So this is the end of letter six. Please God, next week we're going to start... Um, letter 7. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.